0: You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Good morning. Uh, Good to be here with you online this morning. Um, I wonder whether any of you have ever heard of the Inklings, The Inklings were a group of uh, students in Oxford and they would meet together on a Thursday night in the 1930s and 1940s and they would discuss pieces of unfinished writing together and they were often also found uh, on a Tuesday in one of the local pubs continuing their conversation in the pub called The Eagle and Child you'll have heard of at least two of this group of students. They were C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien. These are two influential writers who both have their own faith and became not only famous, but they made an incredible impact on the literary world. People use their books to make films, Music is written based on their films and sermons have illustrations from their writing all over the world. I wonder whether people ever thought as these students hung out together that so many of them would be well known and would make such a big impact on the world. When I was doing my A-levels down in England, I was in a sixth form college and a group of us would meet together uh, at the Christian Union every week. We're from lots of different churches, uh, lots of different backgrounds with church, but we'd meet together, we'd pray, we'd read our Bible and we'd worship together and it was one day that one of them said, you know, we should stop just meeting at lunchtime on whatever day it was, and let's have breakfast together early one morning and pray together. Let's have a prayer breakfast. And this is a group of 16 to 18-year-olds. To be honest with you, I was really blessed that the house we were going to meet in was in the same road as the road I lived in, so it wasn't too long a journey to go myself. And so this unlikely group of teenagers would gather together uh, on a Thursday morning, whatever morning it would happen to be. We'd pile into this house, we'd have breakfast together, and we'd spend time praying before then we walked off to college together. And it was just uh, this year, as I walked past that house and was reflecting on the time that we spent together, I was just so thankful and thought, do you know what? Every single one of those people, as far as I know, is still following Jesus and making a huge impact for his kingdom, wherever they are and whatever they're doing, whether that's inside of the church or outside of the church. No one at the time would have thought that this unlikely group of teenagers would spend, literally spend their lives living for Jesus. Both the group of young writers and the group of teenagers were an unlikely group of people who went on to do incredible things for the kingdom of heaven. Clearly one of those groups was far more famous than the other. In the passage that we're gonna look at today, we meet a group of people who responded to the gospel. And although they were experiencing great suffering, they made an impact on the whole region, not just where they were, but further afield too. And I bet when they first started meeting, they had no clue that we would still be talking about and learning from them today. The passage that we're going to be looking at, we're starting a new series based in 1 Thessalonians. And Thessalonians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, As he was writing the letter, he probably had two things that he was concerned about. The first, he would be concerned about this very new group of Christians who had literally just come to know Jesus for themselves, And he'd had to leave them in the middle of the night. And because they were experiencing great suffering, he'd have been concerned that the whole thing would just implode. The other thing that he would have been concerned about was the validity of the message that he had brought, because he'd had to uh, leave them in the middle of the night, just disappear from them. And there were lots of charlatans and frauds around. And so he'd have been worried that he had been grouped or pigeonholed with those uh, other people. So he writes this letter, and he gives it to Timothy. Uh, who he sees very much like a son and somebody that's under his wing. And he says, could you go and take that back to them and encourage them? Next Sunday, Scott's going to be looking at the opening verses in the letter. And today we're going to be picking up in verse four. So why don't we read together 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 4 to 10. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only a macedonia and archaea your faith in god has become known everywhere therefore we do not need to say anything about it for they themselves report the kind of reception you gave us they tell how you turn to god from idols to serve the living and true god and to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath encouragement is key Teaching two days a week, I can tell you that encouraging children to do the right thing rather than discouraging children from doing the wrong thing seems to be the most effective way. If you have two children sitting next to each other, one's doing the wrong thing and one's doing the right thing. Saying to the child, you're doing a great job of sitting nicely means that the child next to them that wasn't sitting nicely suddenly sitting up all straight because they want to be encouraged to. Paul starts his letter to the Thessalonian church with encouragement and we're going to look at that encouragement this morning. He starts by telling them that they are loved and chosen. In verse 4 it says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And the same phrase that was used here for loved and chosen was also used by the Jews, but not very often. They only used it for the likes of Moses and Solomon and the nation of Israel itself. This bunch of Jesus followers were loved and chosen in the same way that Moses and Solomon and the nation of Israel were loved and chosen by God. How does Paul know, as he's writing this letter, that they are chosen? He knows because when they heard the gospel, it wasn't just, oh, they're nice words, but the words made an impact with power and with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, they had a deep conviction in the depths of their being. Sometimes you just come across somebody that you're like, do you know what? They've got it. They have such a deep conviction of what God has done for them, and you can see it in their lives. And as I was thinking about, people I had heard about that had clearly a really deep conviction. I was reminded of a story from the 24-7 prayer course about a lady from Iran And uh, she'd heard about Jesus when she was a teenager. And in Iran, it's illegal uh, or against the law to be a Christian and certainly to be telling other people about Jesus. But because of the deep conviction that she realized that Jesus really was who he said he was and what he'd done for her, she couldn't stop telling people around her all about him. And eventually she ends up in prison. And uh, when she was in prison, um, she was, she'd been asked, what did you do in prison for those 24 hours? And she just said, you know what, I just prayed. Mm -hmm. I prayed for the interrogators. I prayed for the judges. I prayed for the guards. I prayed for the mission that was happening still in Iran from outside for what she was doing beforehand. And she said there was one question that an interrogator asked her. And he said, "Why, why, did you not just deny your faith? How is your faith so strong that you would go to prison for it? And not only him, but some of the guards also gave their lives to Jesus because of the deep conviction this one lady had. As I was preparing for today, I felt like the Lord wanted to encourage us that you are loved and chosen too. And I wonder whether some of you have... Had just a feeling or a sense that maybe you've been overlooked. And does God really have big plans for me too? He has loved and chosen you to do remarkable things for His kingdom. He's chosen you for your neighborhood. He's chosen you for your family. He's chosen you for your workplace, for your school, for your u- university. Maybe you feel like that group of unlikely teenagers or that group of students huddled into an upstairs room. Or maybe you actually feel a little bit like Gideon when the Lord said to him, I've chosen you to go and fight for me. He said, I'm the weakest in my family and my family is the least of all the clans. Why have you chosen me? And I also had a sense that maybe there are some people here who, when I spoke about that deep conviction and that lady being willing to go to prison for her faith, you felt like, do you know what? I'd love to have that deep conviction. Would I? What would I do if someone threatened to put me in prison for my faith? Do you know, if that's the case, we would love to pray with you. If you're watching online, you can just give a little, like, hands up in the chat and uh, some people can just type out their prayers for you. Or maybe you're watching this and it's not live and you would still love somebody to pray with you. You can get in touch with Libby, our online pastor at onlinepastor@catalyst.vin, and you can just start up a conversation with her there and say, do you know, I'd love somebody to pray for me. Secondly... Paul was commending the church in Thessalonica for being imitators and models. In verse 6 and 7, it says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit, and you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. An imitator is someone who copies someone else. Do you know, I think that we're surrounded all the time by people that are encouraging us to be imitators. People are so keen to copy what other people have, especially the more expensive things in life, that they make, sell and buy fake imitations. Although they look good on the surface when you get up close, it's obvious they're not the real deal. We're encouraged to copy a certain fashion or style And as a result, we often end up with little individuality. I'm sure you've seen groups of teenagers, and probably not just teenagers, dressed similarly with the same bag and the same coat. There are young boys everywhere who want to be the next lean or messy. Our culture encourages imitation. With so many things being flung at us from all directions, how do we know what it is that we're meant to imitate? Paul tells us who he commends them for being imitators of them Paul Silas and Timothy and imitators of the Lord to be able to truly imitate someone we need to know them and to know them we need to spend time with them When I was thinking about imitators, I did a little bit of research on parrots, (laughs) as you do when you're preparing a sermon. Parrots imitate their owners' voices. And to do that, the owner needs to speak to the parrot a lot. But not only that, parrots actually, before they start speaking, understand. And the way they understand is by their owner's body language. A parrot needs to not just be in the same room, as their owner. They need to hear their owner speak and they need to see and experience their owner. If we wanna be imitators of the Lord, it's no use just being in the same room at church on a Sunday or just turning up and listening online. We need to have a relationship with Jesus. We need to know him and experience him. How do we get to know him? We talk to him, we speak to him And we expect him and wait for him to speak to us. How does he speak to us through the Bible? As we read the pages of scripture, we see how other people have reacted and uh, modelled their lives on Jesus. We see Jesus himself walking and talking and interacting with people. We just wait and we ask the Lord to speak. Sometimes maybe a wee thought will pop into our minds and we think, oh, where Did that come from? And as long as we weigh it with what it says in the word, as long as we check that it's not uh, different to what scripture says, we know that it's the Lord speaking. Not only do we wait for Him to speak to us, we worship Him, we give Him our everything. Do you know so often in worship? In sung worship, anyway, I experience and hear the voice of God so much more clearly because I'm taking the attention off of myself and I'm putting it firmly on him. And it's in those moments that he speaks to me. So I want to encourage you to spend time with the Lord. Paul encourages them not only to imitate the Lord, but also to imitate them. Now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy would definitely not have been perfect human beings, but just before he talks about them being imitators, he mentioned that he stayed amongst them for their good. When we're living with someone, we know everything about them, their good bits, their bad bits, and all the bits in between. We truly know them. To know that my dad is one of the people I aim to imitate— He's such a godly, selfless, patient, kind man who demonstrates Jesus to those that are close to him, to those that are family, to strangers, to people that he meets on the street, to people he meets in the supermarket, to anyone from any walk of life. I've seen him love the unlovable and care for those that have hurt him. I've seen him deal with difficult situations in beautiful surrender to Jesus and to his timing. I want to be more like my dad because my dad is more like Jesus than I am. I'd love to encourage you to find someone that you would like to imitate, someone who loves Jesus more than you love Jesus, someone who imitates Jesus more than you imitate Jesus. And you know that connect groups are a wonderful way of finding those people of getting to know them. When we do life together, if connect groups are working properly, we share the good bits, the difficult bits, and all the bits in between. And we can so quickly see in those moments who's giving godly advice, whose life looks like it's walking out faith with Jesus. They weren't only imitators, but they were also models. We aren't called just to copy others, We're called to be people that others can copy. One of the reasons that our um, church is so passionate about ministering to teenagers and children is because they're the next generation. And you know, as a church, we need to be models to the generation to come. If we want to see a generation to come who love Jesus and run after him, we need to model living for Jesus and running after him ourselves. If we want teenagers who pursue purity, we need to be people who pursue purity. If we want children who are willing to pray for the sick and see them healed, we need to pray for the sick. If we want to see our teenagers and children worshipping Jesus with all they have, we need to worship Jesus with all we have. If we want our children to be willing to ask for prayer, we need to ask for prayer. And I'm not just talking about this for people who have children. This is the responsibility of the church as a whole. We're models and they do look up to us whether we like it or not. Do you know if I can be half the Jesus follower my dad has been demonstrating to me what it means to follow Jesus with everything I have, i'll be pleased is my life something that others can learn from if we're imitating the lord then yes it will be this morning maybe you want to choose afresh to live your life in a way that others can use as a model if you want to say yes that's me maybe just pop your hand up in the chat maybe just get in touch with a friend or someone you know who loves jesus and ask them to pray for you as you choose to make a step and a stand to be a model for those around you how had they modeled it so that their faith had become known everywhere in verse 8 it says the message of the lord rang out from them and they turned from their idols They shared with words, but they also demonstrated with actions the good news about Jesus. He's calling us, too, to share the good news about Jesus with our words, but also to demonstrate it by our faith. Faith is an active word. How would people everywhere know of their faith? Because of what they're doing. A couple of weeks ago I was in Aldi and uh, there was a gentleman at the checkout and as he started talking he started saying that he had this really sore wrist and I had this bit of a battle in my head because in my head I'm thinking I know a God that could heal your sore wrist but the other side of the battle in my head was what if he says no or what if God doesn't heal him or what if the person on the checkout behind me hears all this? And I was like, what an idiot she is. Or what if the people at the other cash, like, like it just went on in my head. And I was like, oh, do you know, I'm just, I'm just going to leave it. I was listening far more to that voice in my head. And then as I started listening to what he was saying again, I suddenly realized he was saying, oh, my wrist is actually stopping me from sleeping. I was like, oh, okay, right, this is the moment. So I prayed for him and he... Bent over to my friend who I was with and was like, is she the real deal? And he said, uh, oh, yeah, she's a pastor. Um, Anyway, so I went away, not knowing whether or not his wrist was any better. Still don't know to this day. Um, But I was in Aldi a couple of days later with a different friend, actually. And I said to her about this experience that I'd had with this gentleman and how we should look out for him and ask him, how's your wrist? Well, we got to the cash desk and the gentleman wasn't there. And so... I said hello to the cashier, like I always do. And the first thing she said to me was, Oh, my shoulder's really sore. And my friend looked at me. And every time the lady looked away at the uh, items coming in, my friend's like, I'm like, Oh, again, Lord, again. So I plucked up the courage and I said to the lady, Hey, um, I'd love to pray for you if you're happy for that. And uh, she said, oh, I'd love that. And so there in the middle of Audi again, I prayed for this lady. Again, I don't know what happened, um, but she was super grateful and so thankful and just said, oh, that's made my day. That was so lovely. Thank you so much. And I've been reflecting on that moment and thinking, you know, it's okay for me to offer to pray for people, but am I being clear about who I'm asking to heal them? Am I being clear that I'm a Christian and that I love and follow Jesus and that I believe that he has all power and authority to heal the sickness in their bodies? I don't know that I have been. Do you know, actions without words aren't enough, but words without actions aren't enough either. The church not only spoke the good news, but they demonstrated the good news. Imagine the ripple effects if both those people were healed in Aldi. In fact, I would love for you to be praying for them. I still haven't seen either of them since that moment, but imagine if they started talking together about what happened and other people in Aldi had heard, imagine that they had been healed and they'd been talking about it and then they go into Aldi and then someone says, oh, that's the lady and then I get the opportunity to pray for them. Imagine starting an Alpha in Aldi. Imagine what the ripple effects would that be to the place and the community that that shop is in. Do you know I'm not saying any of this to uh, big myself up, or I just want to be obedient to what the promptings of the Lord in those moments. And I want to encourage you to too, to be obedient in those moments where you feel like the Lord's saying, why don't you demonstrate Why don't you show people, but make sure that we use our words too about who it is that we're praying to. It says in the scripture that the message rang out from them. Some of the commentaries talk about this being like a trumpet sound that reverberates around or a stone being tossed in the water with ripple effects that go further and further afield. The church in Thessalonica had become known in Macedonia, Archaea and everywhere. After it says that in verse 9, Paul said that he'd heard from the people in Macedonia, Archaea and everywhere that they had turned from their idols to worship the true and living God. The change in their lives must have been so obvious to those around them that it caused a stir. It was so normal for people in those times to follow different idols for different things. And for them to turn from those idols and follow the one true living God would have been so opposite to the culture of their day. What are our idols? What are the things that are taking the place of God in our lives? Do you know, I could list a whole load of things. But as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, do you know, it'd be so easy for us then to say, oh, she didn't mention that, I'm okay. So I just wonder whether just for a moment, we just spend a bit of time before the Lord and just say, Lord, what are the things in my life that take the place of you? And then we say, Lord, I'm sorry for that. So let's just take a moment. Lord, would you bring to mind anything that is ahead of you in our hearts and in our minds? And Lord, we apologise to you for that. We bring that to you. We say, Lord, we give it over to you. And we say, Lord, would you be the leader of our lives again? Would you take your rightful place? How are we demonstrating that we're different from those around us? How would people know that we follow Jesus from what they see in our lives? What would it look like for our faith as a church to be known in Aberdeen, Aberdeenshire, and everywhere? What would have to happen? Do you know that I think that faith is often followed by works? And we read that in the first three verses that Scott's going to speak about next week, that works are prompted by faith and labour by love. As a church, we're passionate about being and speaking good news to the poor and to the world. We want to do things that will make an impact on the communities that we live in. Can I encourage you just to take a moment at some point today, just to say, Lord, how am I demonstrating you to those around me? So this morning, wherever you're watching and whenever you're watching, know that you are chosen and you are loved. Know that you're to imitate the Lord and others that love Jesus. Know that you're called to be a model to people around you and to the generations to come. And know that you're to share the good news with words, but also to demonstrate it. Do you know you could be one of the inklings? (laughs) You could be one of that unlikely group of teenagers Jesus has chosen you to be a model who causes ripple effects everywhere you go for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you are a great big God. We thank you that you're interested in having a personal relationship with us. So I I ask, Lord, today that people would know that they are loved, people would know that they are chosen, And people would know that you have big works planned for them. Lord, I just ask for a church and a nation and a people who follow you to be obedient to the call that you have on their lives. Lord, would you meet each of us today where we're at, whether we're in our car watching, at home in the kitchen, whether we're at work on a lunch break, wherever we are, Lord, would you meet us? Would you speak to us?